Welcome, reanimated fans, to this week's episode. I am H.A. Conrad, uh, here with my intrepid co-host, Stuart Tiffin. Hello, Stuart. Hello. And uh, we are celebrating, you know, the fathers today. Um, but, you know, a couple of things to talk about. We actually have some news items today, which there's been a dearth of lately, so that's kind of cool. So we'll talk about those, and then we'll get into our recap review of uh, Silo series episodes five and six. So that's Janitor's Boy, the Janitor's Boy, and the Relic. Um, but before we get to that, you know, in other Silo news, uh, it has been renewed, as probably some of you may know, uh, for season two. And I think Hugh Howie put up some kind of an observation on Twitter, which was not exactly a revelation. <laughs> Do you want to talk actually about even story? yeah, that like predated the announcement of the renewal, but it yeah. was it, it's just it's just this ongoing sort of uh, series of observations where he points out that Guillermo del Toro has had five projects turned down in the last two months by studios. So uh, and in this tweet, Hugh Howie then just says getting anything made is a miracle. So, I mean, even with a book series as popular as his as the silo, the wool series, I think he feels like he has a bit of a unicorn on his hands for right now, because you, you don't think of Guillermo del, del Toro and like having trouble getting things made. You feel like that's a name that can he could do almost anything. He's not like a Jim Cameron, but it's probably uh, still a name that will sway studios so to see to see that i think is pretty shocking and also just another one of these you know litmus things that shows you this the health of the industry which is to say right it's bad it is but i also think you know hugh howie over the years and since he i mean he self-published this he had a lot of love for this and i think you know i i vaguely and I, i'd have to like look back to see but i vaguely remember his frustration in having the series made in the way he thought it should be made. So I think he was also very much wanting to make sure that it wasn't just like he's selling it off and somebody just kind of takes his vision and does what they want with it. Yeah. Um, and maybe sort of portrays it in a way he is not excited about. Um, so, you know, he is the executive producer on this. And I, I think just the way it's been interpreted and the slight changes they've made here and there have made total sense. Um, but I also can see how that would, it would take a lot to get something you know off the ground i mean we even saw that with the last of us you know that had been kicking around for many years before they finally it took a craig mason level name to to get that made and he he i think had basically a blank check from hbo right and that's uh, that's a rarity but like that totally preceded all this disastrous streaming stuff you know before they were writing off entire movies for tax purposes. Right. And now it's like they're they're tightening the belt for sure. Um, this hit me finally personally uh, on Disney Plus. There was a show called Mysterious Benedict Society based on a series of books. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Um, my son was super into the books and we were watching mm-hmm. the show really gradually. We were watching the the two seasons that were on the um, it stars a, a couple of really funny actors whose names I'm not remembering, but uh Good. It was it, and a cast of young actors who were all really talented. Oh, and uh, Beta was in it too. Uh, Ryan Hurst had a had mm. a role. Um, and that that show has been taken off Disney Plus, which you don't. I mean, it's happening all over the place now, right? Like, and that's interesting because that book series has an incredible fan base, like, and just so many storylines that you could just kind of go to town with. Like, seems like it would have legs, and you know, that's kind of. 
depressing that something like that gets pulled, right? Yeah. And my son is getting really jaded and bitter at the industry, too, because of that show being taken off Disney Plus, which we hadn't finished watching the second season and Wings of Fire, which is like this YYA Hmm. Not even YA, YK, maybe young kid (laughs) book series about dragons. There's like 20 books. He's read all the books and he got wind of the fact that a Netflix show was in the works, but they stopped like they stopped Mm -hmm. production. And uh, he's so mad at Netflix. And now he's so mad at Disney Plus. I don't know. Like, I feel like um, they might be (laughs) wounding their future uh, paying customers with some of these. I mean, obviously, they're doing it for financial reasons. If they right. but yeah, it sucks either way. And speaking of, I mean, we're we've been talking about this, but Salem's Lot, uh, and you just you found a, an article about this. Um, but Salem's Lot has been delayed multiple times, and it was weird because there was like all this fanfare about it, and then suddenly it was quiet, and then suddenly it's like, oh, by the way, it's delayed. Um, so but, even yeah. again, and you know, speaking of things that certainly have a fan base and an interest, and I mean, this is one of those projects where people have a very specific. Either you have an attachment to the book or you have attachment to the the film that had been made. Um, and, you know, I, like just seeing what's been happening with it, it's like even this, which you would expect to have a bit of an easier time, has been delayed yet again. So, um, oh, well, well, so. yeah, it's it's honestly this article from Cinema Blend and I, I clicked on it because I was like, Cinema Blend doesn't always give you. No, clickbait. I know. This, this is, is a, this is regurgitating. It's unfortunately stuff, it's a clickbait article. It's like, oh, what's happening with Salem's Lot? And then at the very end, they're it's like, the same it's, stuff. it's probably going to be released on streaming around Halloween. But I'm like, yeah, there's no way you know that. And also, no, they don't. They're just making stuff up. Yeah. So. so and it's if it's on WB that this is the streamer with the worst track record of deleting yep. things for tax purposes. So there's I, I would say like, I don't know, 50 50, you ever get to see it again. And if you do, it'll be on yep. streaming. Yep. Uh, so um, that sucks. Anyway. And <laughs> maybe maybe we'll get to see Salem's Lot one day, but I mm. don't hold your breath. And speaking of clickbaity articles. <laughs> hey, this one. Like- this one it was okay because I think we can we agree. I think we could agree with most of these picks. Yeah, I, I do agree. I just thought it was like what an odd article to put out yeah. there. But cool, cool. It's uh basically what we're talking about. There's an article about the Walking Dead characters that were wasted potential. And, you know, for a lot of them they start out strong, or I think there were many ways that they that the the storyline could have gone with them. It would have made the show a lot richer. Um, I think I definitely agree with Beth, Jesus, and Abraham. Um, Abraham, Tyrese. though, like well, okay, Abraham, some of these, I think they got their stories. They got Abraham they got, got his some story, stories, but it's like they kind of couldn't decide what to do. Same thing with Tyrese. Tyrese, I feel like they did not take. I think Abraham got more of the full potential, but I feel like Tyrese is somebody that it was like just when it started to get interesting, they like yanked him off the show, and I don't know. I mean, in some of these cases, maybe it's something, maybe it had to do with like the actor's contracts and things like that. But um, Tyrese was one that I was really like, oh, you just did not do enough with that character like you should have. And that would kind of bum me out. Um, I don't know. And then Carl's the obvious one, but Carl is like its own special something. I don't know. Um, Carl was for other reasons. Yeah. yeah. But so the way that they've organized this list too, is what one of the interesting things it's like from 10th to first, right. And the first one or yeah. the 10th, 10th one is Henry. I would say both yeah. of those kids kind of got a little bit wasted, but they were also both there really to imp- 
to influence Carol's storyline. Right. Um, and then yeah. the other thing is, I mean, this is often the gripe we have in general, but just about how kids are written and yeah. they didn't seem to know what to do with them on the show. And they always kind of infantilize them or make them either too adult or too young. And it's just never realistic. Um, and then it's almost like they don't know what to do with them. So then they just kill them off or make their storylines really minimal. So um, I think that's especially what happened with Lydia. Like she had kind of like a cool main storyline for a while. And then they kind of like just let that peter out. Um, yeah, she and, had nothing like once it, she was yeah. basically just defined by her relationship with her mother. And as soon as that mm -hmm. was done, she was like, OK, we're done. Um, yeah. And what's what's interesting here is that they're missing the other teenage girl who was Carl's um, sort of love interest for a minute. Mm, what was her name? I don't remember her name, though. <laughs> Just survived somehow, girl, the one who ate a turtle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, like she basically, uh, I think she started dating someone uh, like she started having an adult relationship and she was she was killed by the uh, whisperers. Yeah. In one of those oh, scenes. Okay. Um, but she at least had some story arc. Jesus basically had nothing. I'm not surprised that guy quit the show. Yeah. Um, Beth had one story arc. Uh, most of the time she was just there to sing. And it was a really good one in that hospital. And it was a bummer that she died. But I feel like they actually did that pretty well. It's just that it was so clear that she was wasted on the show up until that point. Yeah. So that and I mean, I thought that there would be more interesting things, like instead of making it just the Carol, Daryl thing. Because there was definitely that relationship between Daryl and Beth that I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, um, which they'd only really worked on that season also. Right. Um, and Jesus also, it's like he came out really strong out of the box. He was like this cool character. And then he's yeah. almost too cool. Like you. He, yeah. He had, like they almost they almost like just over oversold it. But um, yeah, I mean, using like, Kung I just Fu think... on zombies. Super, super cool for Walking Dead. Like not something you see very much. And then they basically just. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you're gay. Okay. That's interesting. Are you going to have a relationship? No, you're just no, going to die. I know. It's sort of like, okay, that's just not. Anyway. So, um, and then number one is Andrea. And we've talked yep. a lot about this. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, this is like the biggest disservice that they've ever done to Robert Kirkman. Just uh, taking, taking this super cool character and making her useless as they did we don't need to go back down that road we've we've trodden yeah. the, that path many times but what a bummer for well and fans. and one of the things I, I should point out with andrea especially with beth um with lydia um all these female characters if you're talking about like their storylines like these were cool characters that you could have built out and made a lot more independent like it doesn't just have to be the carol or the the Michons in the world, like it's seeing these like different kind of perspectives. Um, and it really felt like, and again, this is a big cast. I know it's hard to give everybody a bit of, you know, it's hard to give everybody those storylines because they're trying to weave all these things together. But I do like the Andrea one was the one I felt was just so just weak and wasted. And she, she just became this incredibly strange and I don't know, it was just not, it was definitely not what, that character should have been and certainly not what she was in the books. Nope. So if anything, this um, list needs to be like four times as long. Cause yeah, I'm also honestly. thinking, I'm thinking of, I mean, we see now Avi Nash and we couldn't remember his name, his character's name a few weeks ago, but Sadiq, <laughs> Sadiq also kind of yeah. like dies in this weird way in one mm -hmm. of the last seasons of the prime show. Um, And, and there's, 
<laughs> Heath. <laughs> there's so yeah. many characters Heath. that just sort of Heath showed disappeared, up. and there's all the mystery about him, right? Like so. Yeah. Um, but especially with um, you know, and I and I do think that for Carl, for Sadiq, for a lot of these characters, when they are written off or when they die or whatever, the thing that's really hard for me to deal with is that these people have been out here surviving and suddenly they're unable to take care of themselves out in this world. And mm. that, especially with Carl and Sadiq, really made me mad because it's like you could have written it in a way that made a lot more sense. You know what I mean? Like, like you could have done it in a way that sent them out in a in a like we have no idea how Carl got bitten. That didn't even make sense. Hmm. Um, and then it's just like, well, it's to me, it's just not honoring the characters they are. And Sadiq was like, he had been out there surviving forever, you know, and I don't know. So it just, it just it annoys me, but I guess he, didn't, he the... died in a, in an okay way. And I guess they wanted to kill someone significant because I know, the... but still come yeah, on. It just felt like there were people who'd been on the show longer who could, they could have just killed off but they they chose to kill off this guy who'd been on the show for like two seasons yeah um, but he, he was so good and he had that whole thing with uh like i don't know i just oh, that that baby daddy triangle thing going yeah, on. yeah but but i just liked him in terms of the care of the people as a doctor in this world and and taking him out like that to me it didn't make sense but after a while I'll... yeah the doctor death toll is right. just absurd on that show and then the one name on this list that I'm like, I actually kind of don't agree with is Axel. Who cares? Yeah. I thought that was odd. But like, yeah, you're all you're a little bummed when he gets a headshot from a mile away by the governor. But also he's, you know, OK. The, yeah, the prison. We didn't really expect the prisoners to hang out that long. He's he stuck around like one episode longer than the rest of the prisoners right. on the cast. But that's okay. That kind of rounds out that list. It's it's interesting. It makes you think a little bit, but it also makes you think, well, I would have maybe made it a list of 50 characters. Right, true. True. <laughs> who were done dirty. Mm. Uh so yeah, that's that list. It's on Cinema Blend. Nope, that's no, it's on movieweb.com. Yep, that's movieweb. And then finally, uh, we have this article that is actors on actors from Variety. And it's it's two of our favorite people, I feel like, interviewing mm -hmm. each other. It's Stephen Yoon and Pedro Pascal. Did you have a chance to read through this? I did read through it, and I thought it was really funny. They both are very much fans of each other, which is kind of adorable. Um, and just talking about sort of their experiences. One of the most significant pieces of this, though, is their, their discussion about road rage in L.A., which seems pretty bad. Hmm. Um, On and 420, anyway. Yeah. And um, it sounds like, you know, that that show beef that Stephen Yoon is, is really, I don't know, hitting, checking off some boxes for some people. But um, I, you know, recently, just even this week, I think there was an article that came out about air rage, which is the, you know, how people have been a lot more people have been like sort of acting out on flights, which to me is really terrifying just because you're kind of in a closed space with in a closed space with people and you don't really you can't really get away from them. Mm -hmm. Um and I'm not sure like maybe it's because things are out of control and people want things they can control and I don't know but um what they are describing in in terms of like people like spitting at their windows and things like that. I don't know have you experienced this on the west coast Stuart or are you not out there enough to to see it? Uh yeah yeah every so often you you witness a little bit of it. It happens. I guess the the equivalent here in New York would be maybe the subway rage because I don't I'm just not on the road enough to see it. But um, wasn't there just like a, the same... a 
a trial that resulted in um, a murder charge against somebody for killing yeah, a guy? Yeah, it's not a trial yet, um, but yes. Um, is that in New York? It is in New York. Um, there was a, um, I think, unhoused man who clearly had some mental yeah. health issues and supposedly um, was Civilian threatening somebody. But then the this other rider put him in a chokehold and killed him, basically. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I have to say, based on the, there is a video of it, and I would say like the charges are absolutely warranted. Um, but there's also a lot of stuff going on, just like, you know, somebody basically stabbed somebody just the other day and killed them. Um, it's, there's been a lot of violence on the subways. And so there's a bigger police, uh, presence there. And, you know, I, like, I think that there's, you're just seeing an uptick in sort of this acting out overall, um, everywhere. And this has been definitely a post pandemic phenomenon, um, so I don't have an answer for it, but it's definitely people are a little bit more on edge overall. Right. Um, but hopefully we can all work through this, um, in a better way. I mean, I, I do think it's, especially with the New York subways, one of the bigger, biggest issues is that, um, the pandemic put a lot of people that need help, um, and like over the edge. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot more unhoused people, just out in the street and walking around and, and people that definitely need help. And there hasn't been probably, there just doesn't seem like there's enough resources to help them. Hmm. And so you see a lot more, like you see a lot more of these kinds of incidents everywhere. It's not just on the subway. So um, I don't know what the answer is going to be. I mean, there's a lot of discussion surrounding it um, and there's been a lot more outreach. I don't think this is the only city dealing with it. It seems like San Francisco and, and other cities have it as well. Um, but I think it's something that we as a society probably have to figure out <laughs> because it's not, it's not like it'll go away. Definitely won't go away without treatment, you know? Well, so Sonoma County actually just had a 22% decrease in our oh, homeless point of time count. Um, mostly because there were building housing and buying hotels and turning them into housing and doing a lot of transitional housing work, but it needs to happen because there's... Right. There's a huge well, proportion, like disproportionate number of homeless on this coast well, because the weather tends to be less killing to. Uh, to right. Um, well, and I mean, I think if, you know, in New York and, and San Francisco, all that, uh, the housing crisis is for reals. Like, so there's just, you know, a lot of people who were on the edge before the pandemic. Um, and I think that probably the increase recently has been that there was an expiration of a lot of the eviction sort of moratoriums that had been put in place to sort of protect people during the pandemic. So landlords have been taking advantage of that and been like, okay, you're out, you're out now. So I think that there's just more people that are looking for housing and there isn't a lot available. Um, and in addition to that, there's just like, you know, it's, it's kind of weird. Like the cities are trying, like, it's, it's odd. Cause there's like a lot of court, like, like real estate, um, like non-residential housing, not housing, non-residential buildings that are just vacant right now um, because it's still like people are coming back from the pandemic. So it'll be interesting to see all of that. But that is to say that that was the interesting part of the article that the Pedro Pascal and Stephen Yoon, they were also talking about um, acting uh, methods or things that they do. And yeah. I thought it was interesting because Pedro Pascal was saying that he doesn't like to watch himself as much anymore as he used to. Like he used to kind of do that to see 
things that he would change. But the reasoning for that was interesting uh, because he's like, I, I don't like to watch my performance because it gets edited into something I don't even recognize most of the time. Right. And that takes me out of it. And it makes mm -hmm. it like harder to do the job the next time. I thought that was actually quite relatable. A lot of the time when actors talk about their craft it can get really abstract but that one actually right. i i was able to pick up on and i also like the story about um they were talking about how how much they knew their source material for walking dead and mm -hmm. for last of us and steven yoon said that he went into walking dead not knowing a lot of i guess about the genre but then um when last of us came out he played the hell out of it and, yep. and went to set like cha a changed man uh and then so he was a big fan of the video game before the show came out but Pedro Pascal was not. So right. he was just, you know, he knew nothing about it. I thought there was also a really sweet section where they were talking about Bella Ramsey and Pedro Pascal is like, he he says this in all of the interviews is just that it wouldn't have been the same show without, without them. And uh, that they are just, you know, in terms of their acting experience and things like that, he really admires them and their, um, it just their maturity and their like uh, the vulnerability and, I think everybody can agree when you see the two of them together that they really, that made it, um, that whole rapport between them was really visible. Um, mm. So I thought that was kind of a cool little section. Well, now what I want is to see a zombie project with both Pedro and Steven. Oh yeah, uh, definitely. Absolutely. And... They were, this was like a cool interview to read through. So I definitely recommend it. Yeah. Um, well, right. maybe maybe season two of Last of Us, Stephen. There's there's a role that I could imagine Stephen Yoon playing in that. Um, mm -hmm. However, onwards and into the silo, onwards and downwards, 144 floors. Mm -hmm. The janitor's boy. This was the. Uh, this is directed by David Semmel and written by Graham Yost, who is the showrunner. It's the second and last episode that he writes this season, which I found mm -hmm. to be an interesting thing it's episode five like usually these guys write the last one and yep. the first one or the first one and like some sort of huge set piece there's not a huge set piece going on here i mean mm -mm. kind of but not really what do you uh yeah what was uh what were your takeaways from the episode um well i i really liked again i like how they sort of give you this information and you're trying to piece it together about different um different ways that things are happening in the silo who knows what um juliet often in this is just figuring out all the inner workings and she's at a, a disadvantage i mean she came up from mechanical and this isn't her bag like she doesn't you know she's not like part of this intrigue and there's a lot about who she can trust and who she can't um and you know her ally or who she thought might become her ally is dead now and so it's really like, and you, in your scene, sort of the inner workings of judicial and, um, you know, like, um, the, and we see it not just like through Juliet's eyes, but you get to see a couple of other, a couple of other things. Um, and you, you know, so the, the, one of the biggest things is like the characters that you're just trying to figure out in this is, and we've heard about him up until now, now you finally get to see him, but Paul Billings is what was the choice that judicial had to, to be actually in Juliet's place. And they're like, well, now he's going to be your 
chief uh, now he's going to be your chief wd and she's just got to deal with that um and he has all this uh judicial background mm-hmm. um you don't really know what to make of him by the end of the second episode i feel like we are very sympathetically drawn to paul billings father yep. uh, father's day is a great day to talk about paul billings character yep. uh he seems to be a dad he seemed like by the end of the second like the the relic episode but uh, when we first meet him we know that he is tight with Sims and Bernard. Mm-hmm. They wanted him to be sheriff and it takes a while to really get a sense of him. But I feel like the guy playing him and who is that is doing this like super, super nice job of like a, um, I don't know, like what, what are his mannerisms? He seems like mild mannered and very inoffensive. And you can kind of see how he um, was able to, like they think he's harmless. They think he's easily controllable. Um, he never says the wrong things generally. Like he's very careful about the information that he imparts. Um, and so it makes it this this is just like um I think he's he's a pretty cool character. And he's played um, by so. Chinaza Uche, a mm-hmm. Scottish born actor based in the US. So he might actually have a real American accent, but he's maybe one Who of knows? the minority on this cast. For yep. sure. Um, uh, and then yeah. we also have a little bit more interaction um, with Sandy. And Sandy, who has been very, very clear about her dislike of Juliet uh, all throughout this, um, basically tells Juliet that she'll she needs her help and that she'll she'll help her if she helps figure out who Sam's killer is. And she gives her like some very specific information. Like she's just like, you know, if you don't figure out who it is, judicial is going to pit it on somebody who didn't do it. And that would be against what Sam's moral compass was. And, you know, you should do the right thing. And so that I thought was like an interesting exchange between the two of them. And, you know, they're, I wouldn't say they're frenemies. They're, they're sort of uneasy allies by, you know, um, just by by virtue of the situation um so yeah but sandy's comments make juliet look a little bit more closely at what's happening and think about the whole situation in a in a sort of a wider like a little bit like kind of stepping away from it and trying to see what the big picture is and it's kind of cool because you can see her frustration because she doesn't fully understand the whole big picture but she's trying very hard um the sandy's actions in this episode also just kind of paint like the maybe the reality of uh, the up top, which is everything's political. Even Sandy mm-hmm. is being political here in mm-hmm. her own way by manipulating um, uh, Nick, uh, Nichols to mm-hmm. to like dig in harder on this investigation and like take Paul with you. He knows that he knows the pact uh, like she's she's guiding the sheriff, but she's also like one foot out the door um, because she's she's kind of just had enough. But it's even everything that's going on here, you get the sense that this wasn't how it was in mechanical, right? Like she's down there punching Coop, getting well, getting drunk. That was apparently an aberration. Uh, just taking care of business. There's not a lot of like interpersonal politics, but up here, that's like almost all there is. As you discover, or as Juliet discovers certain things that are happening, um it's it's almost like every single thing she uncovers and covers like five more things, you know, five more mysteries. And it's sort of like, and, and which is sort of satisfying, but it is like, uh, there's like this look on her face, like, Oh my gosh, like, 
like, I can't believe there's even more. She went up to solve George's death. And it turns out that this is just the tip of the iceberg and that that actually has, you know, there's something bigger going on. Um, so, you know, um, I thought that that was kind of, uh, kind of, kind of interesting. Mm. Um, and, you know, she, she did, you know, when she had the, the chance, like she does do things and kind of pushes boundaries. So she has to be alone with Marnes's body um, and finds that, you know, the, the little slip of paper in the hand. Um, and there's you know, not a whole, I mean, what's on there is what Doris Kennedy, like probably Patrick. Yeah, Kennedy's it's wife. circled and it seems a little, hmm. um, and you know, and again, that's not like new this, information for her. They'd already, they'd already gone to look for her the day before. So I don't right. feel like she's looking at this and thinking, oh, now I've got it. It's like, uh, that's nothing. No, really I think here. she finds it more like this seems like kind of convenient. And so she just wants to find out more. Um, right. So, and then in addition to this, this is also like, she's, she has, she's part of this whole council talking about how to deal with the death of Marnes and Jans and Johns rather. And, um, it's like, she sees how they are spinning this story to be, you know, something so that they can still maintain control of the population. So, yeah. It's a Bernard easy... Bernard is very free with saying things like who cares about the pact um, right like in in or certain situations where it makes things politically more expedient um there's also some great world building in this episode between mm -hmm. the funeral which uh, yeah. is actually her idea then they like spin it into a thing like with the music and the apples I don't I felt yeah. like that was a huge waste of food but you know maybe it was got... actually I was thinking the same thing I'm like would they have really done this Seems like a pretty big waste but okay but the you know they're burying their bodies in the orch on an orchard level in the silo. I love this detail. Um, hopefully they don't just continue to b dig up old bones, or maybe not everybody gets buried. I don't know. But uh, that's cool. And then there's the race to the top, which mm -hmm. is um, you got to think that the silo residents too. They just had Freedom Day, or maybe it was a month or two ago, and now they're doing another event. And then in the next episode, there's another like you know uh, what's it called forgiveness holiday. Uh, yep. it's like they're getting hit one after another with these um, very cal calculated attempts to like raise morale. Uh, but I thought it was a, it was a cool uh, piece of world building where they, they have, you know, a bunch of people with numbers on themselves running uh, from 40, 144 all the way to the top. And um, of course that intersects with a, uh, an action chase scene. I guess that might mm -hmm. be the set piece. What I'm talking about. I think that's the set piece. But there's also, you know, there's a lot of like sort of putting together puzzle pieces. So, yeah, you know, and, and it's interesting because Juliet's trying to do this without tipping off Billings because she doesn't know if she can trust him. So supposedly they go off to like find out or or sort of explore, you know, is there evidence linking um, you know, she doesn't tell him exactly what she's up to. And then and he, he like, doesn't has... tell her, but he does admit that he went to judicial later. Right he after. does. But but before he tells her, she's like, oh, you should go have lunch with your family and whatever. And mm -hmm. what she's actually doing, she goes and, and checks out um, Kennedy's apartment. She finds some evidence, but then she's putting something together in her head, which is that Kennedy has not actually lived in this apartment for a while. Like it's, it's because his wife had died. So they moved him to like a single quarters and it's actually like this old couple. So somebody planted this evidence thinking Kennedy lived there. Um, and so she realizes that indeed 
they are trying to frame the wrong person. And she also has been given this like weird information that somebody else entirely is to blame for all this and is thinking about Sandy's comment that some poor guy is going to get blamed, but also that they're trying to make her look bad, planted in Kennedy's thing and say that he's the real person. So it's an interesting little game of cat and mouse that is going on here. And um, she's got to stay kind of a step ahead of it. Um, but she's at such a disadvantage and yep. it's, that's, that's kind of the sense you get is she is just working on for like time basically. And she's, she's talking about, uh, by the end of the second episode, she's talking about being like, I got to get out of here. Even in, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, she's, she's trying to, she's trying to quit already, but because I think she does feel that the deck is stacked against her. Mm-hmm. Um, even though she is, she feels like she's making progress in some ways. It, it's a great, it's a great trick that she pulls on um, judicial here, but it also, I feel like is getting her into their sights more and more. Every she time is, she, every is. Time she outmaneuvers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and sort of in the midst of all this, she does run into uh, Lucas again, who's been, you know, this, there's like little weird respites where, you know, she's trying to run down this mystery and then she keeps running into Lucas in the cafeteria. So, of course, he's going to be a significant piece of this. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, it, if you've read the book or if you've looked at the book synopsis lately, Lucas is a major character. Oh, yeah, of course he is. Um, I'm just saying, like, from the, the viewpoint of somebody who doesn't know that. I mean, yeah. I think it's pretty clear that he is. And he's <laughs> and again, he's talking about the movements of the lights in the sky yeah. um, which are the stars. And it's like, oh, how much have they lost? And that gives you also a little bit of a window into mm-hmm. what the world is in the silo. It doesn't seem like they have m- much history and that's been kind of forbidden. Um, so they've lost a lot of science and other things. Um, and, you know, that's kind of an interesting little tidbit of information. And then she goes down to the, she goes all the way down. She right. takes a couple days off um, toward the right. end of the episode um, I mean, she's also been like she's gone after Turn Trumbull, and he's tried to throw her off the stairs, uh, which mm-hmm. was a, a bit a bit fraught. Um, yeah. Uh, but eventually, he breaks his finger, breaks um, his finger to get, and then gets pulled up by some of the runners. Yeah. Uh, like uh, you know, Trumbull obviously not not the best uh, or the most subtle member of judicial, um, and I think sims sees that later and uh and after <laughs> accepting him as his shadow um him. <laughs> throws him over the side a- another person thrown over the stairs um yep. like it feels like they're just it's raining people raining uh, men. and then she yeah so she takes a couple of days off and goes down also hank has come hank came all the way up from all the way at the bottom earlier during on the day of the funeral to um to give her like a, a message from Walker. I don't remember exactly what it was. Basically, most... he's like, why are you up here? You need to come back down. This is dangerous. And that's like, you know, mm. he's he's worried for her. And I guess the people down below are worried for her. That's Walkers true. Especially because I... they they know that there's something weird going on. Um, and so she's kind of considering that. And I mean, look, you even just see the the sort of interactions with Sims and and Billings, with Sims and uh, Trumbull, and then Sims actually has this whole like monologue about being the janitor's boy and discovering that, you know, his dad was actually this had a different job, like he pretended to be the janitor, but this was he was part of this sort of shadowy organization that keeps the silo running. And I have to say, Trumbull's not the sharpest. If you don't 
like like the Sims character, like I feel like Common does such an extraordinary job here at walking this line. Like, but I would have been nervous if he had been talking in this way. <laughs> you know, he's talking about suddenly, and it's like it's almost like he's got Trumbull eating out of his hand about oh, like, oh, I'll make you my apprentice. Yeah, when he and, says the thing about like you screwed up, you screwed up really badly. Hey, but you know what? So did I. I've screwed yeah. up really badly too. I'll be like, okay, cool. No, he's not gonna throw me off the stairs. It's cool. Everything's cool. But yeah, then... no, I mean it's really just done so well. Like he's such a good character, such a yeah. good actor. And yeah. even, you know, and I like when when you said, Oh, now I'm gonna make you my apprentice, I was like, No, he's not, no, he's not. And like totally, and I mean, you don't really like the character of Tumble anyway, so I guess it's not, you know, heartbreaking, but it does show you how manipulative Sims is and what he will do to protect um, whatever this organization is or whatever the mission might be. And um, I guess, I guess the thing about, I was a little bit surprised that they allowed Trumbull to sort of hang out this long since he had screwed up so badly previously, but, um, but anyway, so he's gone. And yep. then um, we've got, you know, kind of the, um, Juliet figuring out what her next move is going to be. Yeah, which I and I still like having watched beyond these episodes. I'm still not 100 percent sure that, she, that this was a good choice. But she's trying. She goes to get a Pez dispenser relic to try to use it as bait in order to yeah. like get more information out of judicial. Um, right. And it, it seems like a know, really the, risky move. Right. And she has this whole exchange with um walker about is it in this one or the next one yeah, the rules of the silo one. which is and you know this is something obviously i think you have to wonder about but it's um you know it, like like that there's no mechanical way to get up and down the steps that's part of the pact um and also there's no level of magnification beyond a certain point which is an interesting rule to have right mm -hmm. um so I don't know, especially there's... when those are the only two like specific rules it, that raises all kinds of questions. Yeah, yeah. it's like, huh. Um, and then, you know, I, I just think she's still trying to kind of figure out um, the. Um, I don't know, she's trying to figure out what the next move is. And then the the idea of like taking a page out of Trumbull's book, planting evidence somewhere to kind of keep the. Uh, investigation open for George's death is sort of where she's she's going with this um and then the next episode I think is with the exchange with um Bernard and everybody uh -huh. um and this and one this is, is called the relic it's mm -hmm. directed by Bert and Bertie which are like stage names for these two director ladies uh what's most notable about this not not only uh, this but the fact is that they directed the pilot of dead island mm -hmm. um which i think is kind of interesting yeah uh so um, yeah they're they're the directors written by eric avellino yeah and i so this is you know we get to see sort of the 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 aftermath of her planning the relic and she very deliberately does it in a way that billings finds it and then um she's doing this whole thing um about um you know they they are you know poor billing not poor billings but billings very much like buys us it was like okay but you know is very disturbed by Juliet's behavior because you're supposed to hand over these things within a certain amount of time um she's definitely not following protocol 
Um, but you know, there's, there's a lot, so there's a lot of sort of back and forth between these two, just about trust. Um, and you know, kind of a continuing theme throughout this episode is like, oh, he's like, oh, why won't you trust me? <laughs> it's like, well, you know, you're, you're, you've been the person that's been kind of put into this place. Um, and there's something else that happens that she reveals later on in the episode, which is why she doesn't fully trust him. Um, well, but, that's just leverage know, that she has against him. Yeah, it is. But it's also, it's also, you know, she makes a good point because he knows the pact, like Billings knows the pact. He comments on it. He talks about, protocol all the things that you're supposed to do and you know basically is like oh i'm i'm very much by the book and then it's revealed that he has the syndrome which is basically almost like um like a degenerative medical condition that people seem to get in the silo and and it disqualifies you from having these these positions of power um you're not supposed to be able to be like a sheriff or a deputy or any of these things. And he's been hiding it, how he's been hiding it, given how many eyes and ears seem to be all over the place mm-hmm. makes me think that he isn't really hiding it. But what's interesting um, is that in the, uh, in the janitor's boy episode, they meet a guy, this is where they introduce the syndrome. Mm-hmm. They meet like a, someone they're questioning and he has his hand in his jacket pocket and then pulls it out. And, and you see his tremor. Um, mm-hmm. And Billings has his hand in his jacket pocket in almost an identical way. Like you see yep. it in this episode. And I thought that was a really good piece of direction, even yeah. though it's two different directors. So, so I thought that was cool. Um, so you have like this back and forth between these two. That is really cool. Cause again, you know, you're kind of seeing it from her perspective. She has no idea who to trust, but um, Billings is such a like sympathetic character. He seems very trustworthy. He seems very much on the up and up. And so it's kind of hard not to trust him, but you've got to be like, have some self-preservation and she definitely does because, you know, they, they do this whole thing where they, you know, um, have presented this relic as being found in, in the Trumbull's apartment. And there's this whole confrontation between uh, Bernard and Sims and Billings. They're all in the room and talking about it. And, Basically, Sims has said, oh, well, we've tracked this down. We know it was like part of George's possessions. And Bernard covers for her. And it's very clear that he thinks he's lying on her behalf, I think. Um, And says, oh, well, couldn't Trumbull have been part of the team that recovered this? Couldn't he have taken it? And it, it, this is the like, it's a very mysterious support that Bernard has for Juliet because you don't trust it because he was so vehement about not putting her in the sheriff's place, that she was a thief, that she stole this heat tape. Like he says this multiple times um, to Barnes mm-hmm. and Barnes rather. And like then to, for him to be stepping up and supporting her here, it's like, well, what's changed and what advantage does he get from doing this? Um, yeah. So it's a really interesting exchange and she kind of gets out of this by like the skin of her teeth. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's also, um, real counterpoint to Sims, who is just like boiling over Mm -hmm. and, and wants to like, as soon as they even produce this Pez dispenser in judge Meadows office, who we finally get to meet in this episode. Um, he is just this presence in that office Mm -hmm. that is, uh, unsettling. And the judge looks to him and asks him questions, maybe a little more than a boss would, I feel like. Uh, and and he is immediately he looks at the Pez dispenser and says, "That's not that's not Trumbull's." Like he just mm-hmm. knows this. Uh, so there, it was it was interesting. Um, yeah, that that in confrontation between not even confrontation that meeting between the sheriffs and the judge, and then the subsequent meeting with the mayor 
and Sims. It is a very interesting uh, counterpoint for Bernard to come in and kind of save the day. And Billings is Billings really takes her to task for for kind mm-hmm. of throwing him under the bus, um, yep. which is when he says, you know, I've got a family, uh, I've got a kid, and then we um, we get to meet them as he like delicately goes downstairs and uh you know his wife doesn't even want him holding the baby his hands are shaking so much yep um and then we also have i mean then the other the other sort of significant sort of confrontations within this are Mm -hmm. with nichols and miss jackson regina um who is the person that had you know she's a relic dealer and it turns out was also george's lover um and, yeah. and i'm wondering about out... the casting of this uh this actor uh she's so pretty <laughs> yeah they try to make her into like a crazy cat lady i'm like i'm not buying it she's too pretty she's still really beautiful <laughs> yeah um and the the cool thing is is that we get to see two different interactions between juliet and jackson the first one is like she's stonewalling them she really just is like, I'm not going to give you this information. And then she goes back again um, to confront her alone. Um, there's a lot that, you know, it's almost like Juliet doesn't want, like it is revealed definitely. Cause it's like, there's a realization between the two women. Like once, um, once Regina realizes that Juliet is from mechanical who Juliet is and she sees the watch on her. So she knows who she probably is and is really needling her. And Billings is definitely, he's aware that now that George was Nichols lover and doesn't say anything, but like there is definitely that sort of like a thing where he doesn't reveal something that could definitely be advantageous to him to reveal. Yeah. Um, Remember and... when um, Holston told her to stop wearing the watch because even if it is legal, yeah. it draws attention. And then two people call it out in this episode. Uh, Sims right. does too. And like, it it does only seem to get her into trouble. I don't know. Like, why are you continuing to wearing this thing that sort of exposes you as this, having this attachment? Yep. Um, and then in the second interaction with Jackson, Jackson finally breaks down and is basically like, you do, you don't understand like all the danger. And, this is like she implies that there is like another sort of underlying thing that there's eyes and ears everywhere. Well, she um, seems completely the... batty in this in this interaction. Yeah, she does, but like she turns on this fan. Not that I think that that would help all that much, um, especially if there's eyes and ears everywhere. Like, how are you going to keep things secret if it's like that all knowing? And basically talks about this man that came in the middle of the night, threatened all of um, Jackson's loved ones. Um, basically said that they would like send everybody out to clean. Um, and that, you know, she, Regina felt that she had sacrificed everything for George and um, didn't, you know, she did eventually give up his name because it seemed like they already knew about it, but um, she like says that there's something that she had from him that she didn't give up. And then this is the whole big reveal, like this big artifact that people die just for, being known to have it um it turns out to be this children's travel book about georgia well um, she said before... he died because he didn't give up the hard drive like so they're openly right. talking about the hard drive now too right. which i found to be quite interesting yeah me too and but then... I, i'm sure the book is yeah with pictures of like rivers and grassy fields uh is probably 
I, you know, it's funny. Or dolphins or whatever it is. And there, yeah. this is a this is a difference from the book. I have been trying to reread it, but I'm I'm taking it's it's going slow a little bit because I keep falling asleep. But um, <laughs> not because the book is not you know a page burner, but I'm a tired person apparently. Uh, yeah. They talk about having picture books in the schools that show scenes of outside um, mm-hmm. at, with grass and just sunny fields. So they've they've purposefully gone away from that for right but, so like that was s- the part i was going to say like they yeah. definitely altered that um, we've we've gone a bit yeah um and maybe they're maybe they're they're doing that to to you know to really draw that stark comparison between what's been lost um right so. and to also and to also um sort of emphasize how much information is being controlled yeah um, so that's, you know, that was kind of what I thought it was. Um, and then even freakier. And then I will say that this reveal made me wonder how anything is really happening or anybody's getting away with anything. But, um, there's this whole, um, thing when, you know, you're, you're wondering what Juliet's going to be looking at. It turns out to be this children's book. And then we see that she's being watched. She's being watched by camera. There's like <laughs> cameras all over the place. They see exactly what she's doing. In fact, they're seeing her looking at this. Basically, they're like, oh, you got to wake up Sim. It's like, that's how important this well, particular they bit don't of information say Sims, is. But they are like, go wake him up. Well, we know who yeah. they're talking about. It's either <laughs> Sims or Bernard, I suppose. I assumed it was Sims, but maybe yeah. I'm wrong. We can we um, can draw that. Uh, yeah, when, this, when that uh, reveal happened, I mean, it's very lost in a way. Um, you know, doesn't it feel a little bit like one of those sort of scenes where oh, you just totally. you drop totally, it, but when they you show zoom this back and, it's and like, suddenly you're coming out of a screen. And the screens that they're showing of these like people monitoring, there's screens everywhere. Yeah. So like the fact that anything could be kept secret in this seems unlikely. I don't yeah. know. Like so th- so I'm very I you know, I'm very curious to see what happens in the next in the next and there's only eight episodes of the series, right? There are ten. Um, but that's the yeah, so that's the thing um that I'm wondering about is where and it's so funny that you mentioned lost because part of what I thought after seeing the end of this episode is like, oh, how how are they gonna wrap this up <laughs> in like a few a few episodes? I don't know. Yeah, I'm concerned a little bit too. I mean, it feels like this is just the first book. That's that's what they're doing here. And there's three books. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, you know, maybe season two will be, I don't really remember the, uh, what happened in the second one, but I have a feeling. And then the third one I think is, yeah. So the, uh, if it depends on how fresh your memory is of the, of the meta plot HA, but I think this, no, is I clearly... remember it. So that's what I'm like, I, I, I haven't reread the book, but I, I maybe should, but, um, but there's a lot that was revealed here. So basically, you yeah. know, we have this, this sort of inside network that was implied by Simmons and Sims in the last episode. But now we see a little bit more about how it's working, which seems to be an incredibly controlling and, and underground um, monitoring system. So things are definitely not as they seem. Nope. Um, we've also got Juliet questioning her relationship with George, um, like what his motivations are. She's definitely been rocked to her core, like her whole reason for coming up to solve the mystery was her love for George um, so much that she's putting herself at risk, kind of wearing her heart on her sleeve or her watch on her sleeve, literally. Um, And so, you know, her motivation for coming up there is totally turned on its end because I will say- Nothing will do that to you, like meeting an ex, huh? Right. I mean, (laughs) really, Regina's just like, like 
giving it to her in this, like, just really like, you know, like wheedling her, needling her. She's, she's definitely mad. Um, that was one of and, the funnier interviews where uh, like mm -hmm. Billings keeps trying to ask her like germane questions. And instead Regina just fires back at yep. Jules and is like, did he tell you we loved you? Or like, yeah. Uh, and yeah. you know, from Regina's point of view, she lost everything because of him. And so she really is very bitter she doesn't even really react when she hears he dies. Like she's like, oh, well, whatever. Good riddance. Um, well, from her, from the stories she's telling, it sounds like he was super manipulative. Yeah. Um, and just used her. And so this is the questions, I guess, that Jules is asking herself, like, mm -hmm. did he use me? But like, right. then you're like, well, what did he actually get from Jules? It her. Right. Yeah. So, so, it's not so anyways, clear. so it's, it, but it, but it sort of like, this is the thing that I do think that the I think the series has been doing a great job. It's like it is revealing these things. So everything you thought were was true is not. And you're you know, so it's leaving all these mysteries and things that have to be explored. And again, is it too many to wrap up? I don't know, but we shall see. But I thought that that was like a very cool way to sort of end out the um, this particular episode. It's just like, wow. So everything you thought was sort of a given um, because then it's like, well, how much they must know so much more about everybody. Um, they must have known a lot about Holston. Um, Holston clearly knew enough about them because he kept, you know, these little notes that he wrote about putting more flowers in front of the mirror. Mm -hmm. Like it implies that he definitely knew that there was a camera monitoring it and that was supposed to block their view. Yeah. Um, so it's in it's interesting. So I'm I'm again very impressed with the acting, with the writing and the storytelling in this series. So hopefully they have enough uh enough wherewithal to to wrap this up in a good way <laughs> yeah uh, high hopes you know like it's been it's been a as i've said it's been kind of a slow burn and it's picking up speed as we go through the season uh these were these were two interesting episodes there's there's so much development happening it's not it's not though like a um you know all no holds barred sort of brawl every episode mm -hmm. but it's mostly just watching Rebecca Ferguson as like a doomed Duke Leto Atreides sort of character. Yeah, a bit, right? <laughs> or, um, or you know, it could just be, um, it's got a little bit of a, I don't know, like the way that they handled some of the, I mean, like <laughs> Holston and, and there's a bit of a Game of Thrones feel, right? Yeah. Like that you have this great cast, but you can't be absolutely sure that they're going to like... Um, that they're going to make it like, yeah. like, especially given. And I think that there's always that tension, right? Wait, is episode, like, is the relic the first one where nobody dies? Like, maybe it kind of feels like it, right? I mean, it was, yeah, it was uh, Rashida Joe's Allison and Holston and uh, then Johns and Marnes and Churn Trumbull. So I feel like, yeah, by the time we get to the relic, I think nobody has died in this episode yeah. and it's the first time. So, the, the silo just can't get a break. Uh, but she's definitely, I'm getting some Ned Stark vibes off of her in this, but I guess Holston <laughs> also had that too, but I don't know. Yeah, that's what I we'll mean. The, 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 I mean, when first season of Walking, of not Walking Dead, of Game of Thrones, uh, for sure, I mean, it's Sean Bean, so you know. Uh, mm -hmm. you're, you're getting Boromir. You're also getting all those kinds of like, oh yeah, this guy's, he's real noble. <laughs> mm -hmm. Everything's going to go, noble. Everything's A little too gonna noble. go great. It's going to go great.
but uh, let's let's uh, wrap it here. And hopefully folks listening along are enjoying the show. God knows we are. Uh, we will be back again next time to talk about seven and eight flame keepers and Hannah. If you want to let us know what you're thinking about the show, give us an email, send it to us. That is at reanimatedpodcast at gmail.com. You can find our other episodes online at reanimated.podbean.com. And we are on Twitter, mostly there for Hugh Howie's uh, hot takes um, at reanimated PCAST. So thank you for listening and ciao. Hey, you took my line. And, <laughs> and, and goodbye. Until, until next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>